Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and with us this Sunday, as always, for our weekend review of the wonderful news of the week, uh, <laughs> former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. This week, we've got a lot to unroll uh, for all of you and unravel. Marjorie Taylor Greene got kicked out of the uh, Freedom Caucus. Rudy Giuliani may be disbarred. There were drugs found at the White House, and they weren't mine. The, the Twitter and threads had started a war for social media. And apparently, some federal prosecutors are really interested in a meeting that happened in the Oval Office with Trump and Mike Flynn. Uh, we okay. We got rid of uh, chemical weapons, but we okayed cluster bombs in Ukraine. And the New York Times and CQ roll call talk about Biden being too old for uh, the presidency. All that much more to unravel when we get back. We'll take a short break and we'll get rolling. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me again from CQ Roll Call, editor-at-large, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor and bon vivant on social and mainstream media, and he has his own podcast, of course, Michael Zeldin. So we're going to start out, guys, talking a little bit about uh, the two issues that that kind of seem to have the Republicans unraveling themselves. And we'll start out with um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She got picked, uh, kicked out of the Freedom Caucus. Apparently, what, she's too far crazy for the crazies? John, you want to bring me up to date on that one? Yeah, this was um, this was both surprising and, and not all that surprising. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene has positioned herself really since you know, late last year and really in January during the speaker fight, she's tried. Uh, and I don't know if she's I don't know if you could say she's in speaker Kevin McCarthy's inner circle, but she's in a circle. She's in his <laughs> orbit. Yeah. And of course, the Freedom Caucus, um, the Freedom Caucus members and some of their allies who don't identify as Freedom Caucus, um, they've been at war with McCarthy for for really much of the year and, and even uh, years past. So you know, her allegiance to McCarthy means that um, she has to vote with the speaker. And of course, the Freedom Caucus um, and alike members did not like the uh, debt ceiling and spending deal that McCarthy cut with um, 
with President Biden and Democrats, and they all voted against it. Of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene voted for it, as did yep. Speaker McCarthy. So, you know, other votes like that as well. She's questioned their tactics and um, has at least procedurally and, and how to run the House and, and how to go about legislation. Um, she sounds a lot more like uh, a McCarthy person than a Freedom Caucus person. And some of her outrageous antics have uh, and things that she says on various topics have frustrated the Freedom Caucus uh, as well. So uh, she doesn't fit neatly into any of these groups. She doesn't fit into the, the what used to be called the Tuesday group, which is more, you know, what I guess we would call now moderate Republicans. Um, she doesn't fit into the Freedom Caucus. She doesn't fit into McCarthy world. She doesn't fit into the study committee. Um, you know, she's just her own entity. And I don't think that this is, you know, this doesn't hurt her. This doesn't um, uh, limit her ability to, to get attention, to get booked on television. You know, this makes her well, it might increase it. Yeah, it'll increase all of that. Uh, folks like me on the Hill running around, uh, this kind of makes her, do you want to seek her out even more to get comment on various things? So, you know, this is kind of like a pro wrestling situation where we've got ourselves a heel who is too heel to be in any faction and doesn't need to be in a faction to draw money. So, you know, you got a Triple H type person here. Triple H the heel didn't need DX. He didn't need the authority. <laughs> Triple H just needed his sledgehammer. And Marjorie Taylor Greene's sledgehammer is the spoken word. Is there anything that you think was the the fun, the you know the straw that broke the camel's back, calling Lauren Bobert a bitch, or that's, yeah, that's, or do you think this was yeah. just Bo Bobert is well liked in in those conservative circles, and uh, the the altercation on the floor where Marjorie Taylor Greene accused Bobert of um uh, basically plagiarizing uh, her legislation on impeachment articles of President Biden and other things. She did say other things. Marjorie Taylor Greene said other things that she had written. Or, or tried to push uh, or dra you know, drafted bills that Bobert and her staff basically just lifted them and put Bobert's name on them, including the articles that she tried to force a vote on. They got, of course, McCarthy squashed that and sent it back to committee uh, to tie it up and delay it. And Mar as you said, Marjorie Taylor Greene called her a, quote, little bitch on the House floor. And the not the not the words, you couldn't hear the words, but the cameras certainly caught the altercation. And everybody so, heard it that was and, there. And both ladies, yeah, both ladies and members who were nearby have confirmed that it happened. So that was the final straw. Uh, Bobert is uh, of the, shall we say, uh, bombastic conservative ladies. Uh, she's the one that the Freedom Caucus has sided with here in this feud. But again, uh, Bobert needs to be in a faction. I, you know, I often, especially with the House, I do look at it through a pro wrestling lens. And you know, well, she, I think that's kind of a she program. needs to. Yeah, she Bobert <laughs> needs to be in the four horsemen. She needs the NWO around her. Like I said, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's her own. She 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 has enough charisma and and ability to draw attention to herself that she doesn't need that. Michael, the other thing that <laughs> that that came up this week is, from the Republican uh, standpoint is Rudy Giuliani might be disbarred. Can you? <laughs> unpack that for me how realistic is that and how will that affect uh trump and republicans going forward well the disbarment won't impact trump um or republicans going forward but 
other things will with respect to Giuliani potentially. So let's back up a bit. First, the reason that Rudy Giuliani's law license has been recommended by the disciplinary in the District of Columbia for um, removal is that they determined the there was a disciplinary hearing. Rudy Giuliani testified. Donald Trump waived attorney-client privilege to allow him to testify. And the determination was that Rudy Giuliani, and I'll quote the order of the um, disciplinary committee, it said, his hyperbolic claims of election fraud and the core thesis of the election litigation were utterly false and recklessly so. Mr. Mr. Giuliani's rash overstatement claiming that the election was stolen had no evidentiary basis to support it. His utter disregard for facts denigrates the legal profession and poses a threat to our democracy. These claims were frivolous. So you can't file frivolous claims as a lawyer and not be sanctioned. They went nuclear and recommended disbarment for him. Typically, uh, frivolous lawsuits get you suspended for 30 to 90 days. But they said because it so threatened our democracy, these frivolous lawsuits, this was a special case. So here he sits waiting for final determination. The recommendation is that he loses law license. That doesn't affect anyone really but him. What is more important, Brian, to your question is Giuliani met with Jack Smith twice and under a proffer agreement, which just simply means that the words out of his mouth can't be used against him. If they had other evidence of the same type, uh, they could use that, but not the words out of his mouth. You get you get to you get to confess in a sense. Um, (laughs) I get out of jail free card. I do not pass go. (laughs) Well, as it relates to the words out of your mouth, if they have other evidence that you, you know, robbed the bank you can still be charged with bank robbery but you can't be charged by your saying yes i did it but i had extenuating circumstances so he met with jack smith for two days reportedly long days uh under this proffer agreement and smith wants to know it seems about the fake electors scheme in particular and also about a meeting which was held at the White House in the Oval Office on December 18th into the night of December 19th, all of which, and we, I think we're going to discuss that in a, in a little bit um, later, the Oval Office meeting, but Smith um, appears focused on the false electors scheme and the effort to defraud the United States by preventing the orderly transition of power. Giuliani was at the heart of that. And yeah. so if if he is, quote unquote, cooperating, and a proffer agreement does not mean cooperation, it just means you go in, then you tell your story. You, your story could be, I did nothing wrong. Uh, this is a witch hunt. That's my story. But <laughs> generally speaking, they go in and they say, let me give you a full picture of what occurred. It may be exonerating of him. It may be incriminating of him, in which case he may use it to try to work out some sort of deal uh, that I will testify in the grand jury against others um, if you give me some leniency. But that's the that's the big story in terms of what are the dangers for Trump going forward? What is it that Giuliani is is saying and how will Jack Smith be able to use that um, testimony?
And the fact that he was there for, as you said, two long days, that's not indicative of a guy who came in and said, look, I got, you know, you got nothing and I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, this is obviously an extended conversation for two days. Yes. Well, it's an extended conversation, but it doesn't necessarily imply uh, that it's a truthful extended conversation. (laughs) Oh, oh, well, the truth. (laughs) <laughs> because remember, in in the um, disbarment, oh, yeah. but when the, he, if he's going to sit there and lie, and they've got other facts that prove otherwise, that's just going to hurt him even more. Well, he doesn't have to be lying, though. So, for example, if you look at the disbarment hearing, uh, they said you filed frivolous lawsuits, essentially, and he said I didn't. There were um, legal bases for the filing of these lawsuits. And let me explain to you my legal thinking. And they had a long hearing, had long days of hearing about that. And in fact, the disbarment um, committee said that some of his theories, while not likely to be, uh, not likely to, he's not like to prevail on them, they were not frivolous. That means there was, you know, a small, you know, sort of remote chance that they could have been affirmed. And so they said, as to those where there's, you know, a remote chance, uh, we can't say, we're not going to sanction him. It's just the ones where it was absolutely flat out frivolous and there was no likelihood of success that we're going to sanction him for. And so it could be that he went into Jack Smith and said, let me tell you what was going on here. I did nothing wrong. We had valid theories for, you know, he could repeat exactly what he said to the former people. I could take a long time. Um, and they can say thank you very much. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't buy your theories, and you know, we, we've got nothing, you know, no, no further use for you. I'm done with this witness. Thank you, you know, sort of thing. Now, John, that but it does kind of hurt Trump, does it not? In in the uh, pol- the political fallout may be worse than the the actual legal fallout. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I well, that's a good question. I, I don't know how much this hurts Trump politically. Um, I, I think, I don't, I don't know if Rudy moves the needle that much at this point. Um, well, if he goes back to the four seasons, <laughs> right? Yeah, it does. Everything goes back there. Um, including the, the Philadelphia I-95 collapse was <laughs> yeah, right, right around the corner from four seasons landscaping. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if Rudy's going to move the needle for just alone, um, for those independent voters that that I'm a broken record about in those six to eight states, that's going to matter if Trump is on the ballot. And Brian, I know you think he will not be on. Yes. The ballot. <laughs> um, but if he is, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think Rudy alone hurts Trump that much. I don't think it's hard for even you know hardcore Trump supporters to listen to uh, America's former mayor and uh, and 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 get the sense that. Um, shall we say he's lost a few steps, Uh, (laughs) you know, but it is part of a broader kind of a quilt here that's being stitched together, all these legal issues with Trump. And and as part of that quilt, you know, it's just one more thing. It's just one more square on that quilt. And that's what independent voters are really going to judge is, is how broad was this was Trump directly involved? Was he kind of the 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 Oz figure behind a curtain? And and what how deep was his involvement? How much did he know about uh, the planning for Jan six? How much did he 
we know he was directly involved in trying to overturn the election. We've heard him talking to the Georgia Secretary of State. That was recorded. We, we've heard him say the words. But there are still questions about other parts of, of that effort and if Trump was directly involved or if other folks um, took it upon themselves to act on his behalf. Uh, I have a suspicion that uh, Mr. Smith and, and others at DOJ already know that and and we're going to learn that soon enough uh, in a in a criminal court proceeding so that's coming we're going to learn all that uh but rudy uh yeah rudy rudy is just part of a broader a broader uh picture and and again those independent voters in those swing states are are, are going to have to decide if if that's enough um, maybe they have reservations about president biden uh, i know a lot of independent voters do we all look at the polls um so that's that's what it's going to come down to, I think, is are they comfortable with handing Trump if they think he's guilty of multiple federal crimes? Are they comfortable handing him the keys or will they roll the dice with what will be an 82 year old incumbent president? And we'll get to that later. <laughs> one of the things, one of the last things I want to talk about before we head to the uh, first break here is um, earlier this week. Cocaine was found at the White House, and it wasn't mine. Not <laughs> actually, I did send a letter to Corrine Jean Pierre, the, the press secretary. I said, "Hey, Corrine, uh, I left a small baggie there this week. If you find it, will you give it to me?" Just kidding. But there was a small package of uh, apparently tested for cocaine, the size of a dime, and uh, immediately this touched off a a, a fuselage and just a barrage of criticism about how it had to be Hunter Biden's, how who had been in there two days before. That's, of course, post hoc ergo propter hoc, just because some some event followed or preceded one event. The first event didn't actually necessarily cause the second. Um, and even Kaylee McEnany came out and said, uh, no, there's no way it was Hunter Biden's because the you know, we both know how frequently the Secret Service sweeps through areas and looks at things. And so it couldn't have been there for two days. I, I remarked that it might have been Hunter Thompson's if it was going to be Hunter anybody's. But uh, <clears throat> the fact is, this is not, I mean, John, you and I have covered the White House. I remember there have been drugs there quite often and frequently, have there not? <laughs> yeah, I think we've both um, <laughs> yeah. we've been to a social event or two and yes. suspected or smelled certain substances Tom Petty uh, came rolling through the, the last <laughs> Christmas party that, that was there during the Clinton administration. And I, he, him and his whole band smelled like they just crawled out of a, you know, uh, an opium den. That's the first thing I thought of when I, when I heard the news was your story about Tom Petty. Uh, and yeah, I, I, had, I had smelled marijuana uh, from time to time uh, at the white house. So yeah, this is no, this, there's no way this is the first time. <laughs> And that area is uh, a high traffic area for sure. And there were a number of uh, events uh, there recently. There were some pride events, July 4th events um, and other things, especially there were there are a lot of events on the South Lawn recently. So that's yeah. a big, that expands your guest list. And, you know, staff is able to invite some folks and they might bring them through the West Wing to just show them around. People get a kick out of that. Um so it could have been a friend or, you know, a, a, a professional associate of a staff member who, you know, went to the bathroom and uh, helped themselves and then it, you know, fell out of their pocket or something. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's not a large area, the West Wing. People might think it is, but it's it's relatively small. And, you know, if you've got something like that in your pocket and and like I said, you've um, excused yourself for a few minutes and maybe you didn't get all the way back in your pocket and, you know, you bump up against someone or trying to get out of the way because it's a well, tight space. I like that you use the word. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then it falls out. So, you know, I the right jumped on this. I know Fox News uh, was on it pretty heavy that day. Um, but you know, it's another inconvenient thing for president Biden, a guy who throughout his life, uh, the snake follows behind and, and bites him. He's, he's pretty snake bitten. And of course it was cocaine after all the pictures and things of his son who, you know, battled some pretty serious addiction issues. And it still does. I'm sure. Um, you know, it's just an unfortunate for Biden, just an unfortunate thing that it happened like that with, with Hunter's issues. And, you know, these things happen with Joe Biden that give his critics ammo. Um, you know, he's not having it, great... It's just bullshit, isn't it? I mean, it is well, ammo. Well, it's bullshit. It, it it is bullshit. But again, and boy, I'm gonna where I'm gonna get sick of hearing myself say this. It 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 is bullshit to to most folks. I think folks like us, but those independent voters who don't follow all of this like we do every day, all day. Um, some of those folks for Trump are going to be gettable and folks more and more just in, in our society, especially on the right and independence, a lot of times lean, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, those folks are more and more susceptible to these conspiracy theories. So, you know, I, it, it does matter. It absolutely matters because it's who can get those independent voters. Now you're going to have to turn your base out in big numbers, but then it, those independent voters are gettable for both guys. And so this narrative matters a lot. Well, and Michael, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to lean into you, but, but Michael, does, does this make any sense? I, I don't know what to make of this story politically or otherwise. What we know is that in the area by the visitor's entrance, there was this baggie found on the floor that tested positive for co cocaine. I'm sure the area is, is uh, under camera surveillance, and so I would expect that they're looking through the, the camera surveillance to see uh, what they can determine. But to somehow say from this that there's a random bag of cocaine, that this implicates the, the Biden presidency, to me seems ridiculous. I mean, that any voter, that any voter would say, well, you know, I was thinking about voting for that Biden guy, but in the public entrance by the White House back in July, they found a, a, a small bag of cocaine. So he's not qualified to be <laughs> president. I mean, if that's the thinking of that voter, then, you know, God help us. But <laughs> I, I uh, so I, I just can't. I How just dare can't, you inject reality into this? <laughs> I just can't imagine this is anything, uh, that will have legs, you know, political legs that people will be talking about. I get it that some news outlets might want to try to, uh, you know, spin a yarn here that is, you know, red meat for a base that's looking for any reason to continue to hate a person that they already hate and they're not going to vote for under any, any circumstances, right? right? You know, you'd think that people in, in the, in the mid 
section of our country would be way more concerned with the fact that in July the, or the very end of June was the hottest recorded day in the history of the planet since we've been recording. Maybe during dinosaur days, it was yeah. different, but it's it's the Georgia peach crop has been wiped out. Farmers across the country are suffering from the heat. Farm workers are are dying from heat exhaustion, and they're worried about a little bag of cocaine. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, Brian, and I, I just don't continue to understand how voters vote against their economic best interests for some other, you know, consideration that seems irrelevant to their to their well-being. I God bless you for saying it. Uh, we're going to take a short break after that and let you contemplate either cocaine or climate change. And when we come back, we've got a lot more to unpack. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. And when we left, we were talking about snorting cocaine and climate change. And we're going to shift gears now and talk a little bit about an apparent, and, and Mike, I'll let you kick this off. There was an apparent specific Oval Office meeting with Donald Trump and Mike Flynn after I, I guess this was has to do with the um, special counsel probe. So I'll, I'll let you uh, unpack that and we'll, we'll go from there. Right. So this was well-documented in the January 6th hearings. And what it was, was that on December 18th, there was a shouting match um, between the forces of represented by White House counsel Pat Cipollone and the other lawyers there, and then the the more fringe uh, people, uh, uh, Giuliani and Michael Flynn and the Overstock CEO and um, Sidney Powell, where it was uh, well, proposed a- to it was proposed to to President Trump that they essentially invoke military rule that they seize the voting machines, declare martial law, and overturn the election by by fiat. Cipollone and uh, the, the more sane White House lawyers said, this is outrageous. Flynn and them told him in no uncertain terms that this was what was necessary. And they they screamed and shouted at each other, you know, well into the into the night. Then the Cipollones of the world, I think, left. And according to Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, Giuliani and some others lingered. And there was a 
further meeting, like in the early morning hours of the 19th now, midnight having passed, where they continue this conversation, the voting machines are never seized, martial law is never declared, but at the end of that uh, day, Trump tweets the famous come to Washington, it will be wild on January 6th tweet. Um, in the timeline of things, it's also important to remember that on December the 14th, so four days before this meeting, that's the date that the slates of alternative fake electors in seven battleground states signed their certificates falsely asserting that Trump had had won um, their, their state. So I think what Smith is looking at is the rolling of the 14th into the 18th, and then the Be Wild tweet, and then the events of January 6th. He's trying to unravel the narrative. That. Yeah, to figure out you know what's going on here. So for example, it's probably a fraud. It not probably it is a fraud to submit false electors certificates to misrepresent who you who you are. But it's not a crime to have crazy discussions in the Oval Office about voting machines and martial law and and the likes. You could have those conversations all you like. If they're not actioned, they're just conversations. And we don't criminalize conversations. And goodness knows over the course of history, what types of crazy conversations have occurred in White Houses o over the years. Um, yes. that we just don't we just don't know about. So I think Smith has got a difficult situation to sort of figure out what's crazy talk versus what's criminal behavior. And I think that's what he's trying to you know, draw a fine line um, because it's clear that this was crazy talk. Um, yeah. But crazy talk, as I say, doesn't make doesn't make for a crime, um, just makes for crazy people. Um, one of whom, as we discussed earlier, is about to lose his law license <laughs> in all likelihood, you know, because uh, because he acted on crazy talk in a, in a in a in a different forum, the 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 the, the litigation in Pennsylvania and and elsewhere. So, I mean, that's that's where we are. We're at Jack Smith trying to... Do you think there's anything criminal there from what you see? Not in the conversation, um, but the conversation helps Smith with understanding the state of mind of all of the participants. So if the state of mind of the participants is, we won this election, um, and we're going to do anything and everything in our power to make sure that that result is 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 recorded. That might sell tell Smith that they had a clear motive for the false electors scheme or orchestrating the events of January six. So it, in context, it's relevant for Smith to understand what were these, what was the state of mind of these people. Um, and then what acts followed um, from that state of mind? Because you have to have like a conspiracy. To make a conspiracy, you have to have an agreement between two people and then an act in furtherance of it. So the three of us could agree that we're going to rob a bank. Um, we're all in agreement. We're going to rob the bank. But if none of us take any step in furtherance of it, then it's just crazy talk um, and it's not actionable. But if, if, if I go 
buy a gun, you know, or draw a map of the bank, and you guys say, "Great, we'll see you there. We'll meet you on Tuesday." Um, then you know, <laughs> now we got a different problem on our hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I want to. I just want to say, for the record, I just want to say for the record, Bennett was never in on the Karam Zeldin <laughs> bank robbery scheme. <laughs> He he was he, you know he was a passive observer. He could have stopped it, but he was not a participant. But he had to go find his cocaine he left at the White House. Yeah. <laughs> I as knew. His I attorney, as his that. as his attorney, I advise him not to answer that or apply that. Ah. Go ahead, John. Before we get you convicted. <laughs> wow. Well, first, a crazy talk. If we ever need a new name for this podcast, I think we got it. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. Um. There's a lot of crazy talk at the Trump White House, and it wasn't limited to the days after the election oh, and the shit. days before the January 6th riot. Um, crazy talk. I mean, you know, if um, if if any of us are ever relieved of our day to day employment, we wanted to write a book about the Trump White House. Crazy talk might be a good title for that, too. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, Michael, the conversations themselves don't seem um you know just alone that 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 those represent crimes they they're exactly what uh michael uh described them as again there's that word again crazy talk now cassidy hutchinson uh, her testimony does describe a mindset that was prevalent within the the sydney powell rudy giuliani group um and she makes it clear that the cipollone group was telling them and telling the president, then then Donald Trump, um, you know that that if you as 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 Michael said, if you action any of this, you're in you're 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 in deep trouble. Um, so that exactly what Michael said. That's what uh, Mr. Smith and and federal investigators are looking at right now to to see how much of it was actioned and by who. And again, the, for me, the key, one of the keys continues to be uh, Trump's involvement in actioning any of that. And and for Trump, that's that's the question. Um, can Smith prove that he was directly involved? I think. Well, yeah. And that's where, and that's where, John, to your point, and mm -hmm. Brian, to your very earlier question, that's where Giuliani um, could be outcome determinative for Smith, if he says, this is what we did, this is what, this is why we did it, this was Trump's role in that, these were the communications between Trump and the people at the Willard Hotel or the directions that that he gave to Meadows, to give to Bannon and to Stone. If he could talk about all of that stuff, that's testimony that Smith, I don't believe, has from other people. And that he would need. And that he would, and that would be very helpful to him, yeah. Well, that's, that, that was actually, Michael, that was, when, when I go over what we're, what they've interviewed and talked about this week, I keep coming back to this one sentence in, in a story that I read. The special counsel's sustained interest in the chaotic episode comes as Smith's team appears to be nearing charging decisions in the investigation into efforts to overturn the election results. So they're still at the point where they're gathering information and they think they have and uh, they think they have a path that that they understand. It, or is, am I overreaching? Is is it a point where they're looking for evidence to support the narrative that they believe 
occurred or is it that they're still trying to establish the narrative? And it seems to me like they're a little closer towards the end than the, the middle or the beginning. It's very hard to know. Wasn't it Winston Churchill who said, um, we are not at the end. We're not at the beginning of the end. We're at the end of the beginning. And so I don't know whether we're at the beginning. Well, that of the sounds end. like a guy who left his cocaine at the White House, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, it was an important speech that Churchill gave, and I invite you to look it up. But I, I don't know whether I, we're I, at the end. I, I don't kidding. know. <laughs> maybe some of your listeners maybe some of your listeners have heard about the second world war i, I don't oh, know. probably not but go ahead <laughs> so the question is are we at the uh beginning of the end or the end of the beginning and i don't i don't know whether smith has everything he needs to tell the story that he needs to tell to the jury you know the thing is right. that this has to be coherent for a jury. You have to have a, a theory that says the reason we've indicted this person is because they orchestrated a scheme to submit to the president or their state legislators false electors who declared themselves to be winners when they knew they weren't. And they did this for the purpose of overturning the results of the election and that the fraud statutes of the United States prohibit that sort of action. And we're going to prove that that's exactly what they did. That's a very neat story to tell if you have the evidence to, to support right. it, as opposed to you know, including the crazy talk of the seizing of the voting machines and the martial law and Steve Bannon at the Willard Hotel and the be there, be wild. You've never seen anything. You could get lost in that in a way that a jury is just confused and says the prosecutor didn't prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. I, I think I said recently on um, CNN that smarter prosecutors in cases like this aim to hit singles because in the end, uh, if you're convicted of a behavior which is a single or a double, you're going to suffer the same consequences as if you you know, were convicted of, of a more serious crime, except if you're talking about, you know, sedition, which I don't think is is likely to bar a person from running for future right. political office. But as to most of these people, Eastman, Clark, uh, Giuliani, uh, all of those uh, those lawyers, they're convicted of one felony count. It, it's end of the day. It doesn't yeah. make a difference. Convicting them of 23 Felony counts. If you take the indictment in Mar-a-Lago, thirty-one documents uh, withheld uh, that that were asked for. If Donald Trump were convicted of withholding criminally withholding one or two of them, it will make no difference than if he's convicted of withholding twenty-two of them. Not as a sentencing matter, not as a legal matter. <clears throat> and so, prosecutors need to, I think, in a case like this, be smart and figure out. What is it they're aiming for? And they're aiming is aiming for is to hold people accountable for criminal law violations if the evidence supports those charges. It doesn't need to be um, anything more than that. That makes their their case. And so I'm hopeful that Smith, who's an experienced guy, recognizes that that's all he needs to do in this case: be able to tell the American people in a straightforward beginning, middle, end narrative, what 
happened that required him to indict people. And if Trump is one of those people, so be it. And if it's just all those in his orbit, so be it too. John, you think that that's that that they've that that will help. Do you think and that? Remember, I'm, let me just say before you answer, I'm answering this as the lawyer. Yeah, and John, I John has to answer it as the politician. Right. Then that's yeah. so as as the politician. That's why. Thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> is it the beginning of the middle? The middle of the beginning? Or the beginning of the beginning? Uh, is it it as the political moves go? How does this benefit or does it not benefit Donald Trump? I don't think it benefits him in the long term in the general election if if he is the nominee and he's on the ballot. Um, I I think it definitely helps him in the primary. Um, he's he's still putting distance uh, between himself and the rest of the Republican field, um, and that's been the case since uh, the first indictment in Manhattan. Um, he's been gaining in the polls. He's raising tons of money. Uh, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, he's sitting on a huge campaign war chest. So that means a lot of, you know, 15 second, 30 second ads uh, that his campaign is going to be able to purchase. Um, and, you know, he'll have even more money by the time we get to the general election. So, you know, in some ways it helps him, in some ways it hurts him. You can't be elected president without a huge war chest and he's going to have that. Um, but again, these independent voters, uh, how many of them are going are going to be turned off by all this? We we don't really know. We see the polls. I mean, majorities of of Americans, Republican and Democrats, think it's likely that Donald Trump broke multiple federal crimes. So the polling's not with him in that sense. But then you know when you just break it down, you start looking at how uh, his base and Republican voters feel about all this they're on his side in big numbers. So, um, you know, if nothing you, will change if you that, wanna, if you want to get really tactical about it and, you know, I've, I've been focusing on that fundraising number. Um, what was the last quarter? 30 something million dollars or something yeah. like that. Um, 30, that's 30. not nothing. Yeah. He's got, yeah. I think 33. Yeah. So he's got a lot of money to run for president here and pay his legal fees, which we know from reporting, or at least we think we know, um, there's some uh, creative bookkeeping going on at the Trump campaign and uh, some of this money that, you know, Brian, we see it uh, every day in these emails and texts that we get from his campaign, uh, these fundraising um, solicitations. You know, if you get enough five dollar, twenty dollar donations from from Joe Smith in Missouri and and Jane Williams in Florida, you can uh, pay some lawyers. All my in-laws. <laughs> That's yeah. My, well, yeah. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> maybe maybe you can maybe you can pay your yeah. lawyers. Depends oh, on right. depends on right. under what um, explanation you're raising the money. If you're mm -hmm. raising the money to say help me um, run for president to buy TV ads, um, and then the money is being used to pay for lawyers, maybe it's not. As, as kosher. But in terms of raising money and paying for lawyers, the most important lawyer who is being paid for by Trump is the lawyers for Walt Natow in the Mar-a-Lago yes. case. Because as long as they keep that guy in, in the family, if you will, the better off they are. If Natow had a really good lawyer, and I don't know that he does yet, um, he would move to sever his case 
in my opinion, from from Trump's case, if he was going to go to trial at all, or he'd try to enter into some sort of uh, multiple misdemeanors uh, charges and and uh, explain what happened. Because he may be a victim of Donald Trump's dishonesty as much as he is a co-conspirator of, uh, of a scheme to withhold documents. But as long as Trump controls him, I think his legal standing remains much more tenuous than if he were on his own with his own independent lawyer. So how do you see that playing out? Do you think that he'll stay uh, under Trump's sphere of influence? Or do you think I, I, you have to know that Jack Smith has probably <laughs> approached him at some point in time to flip him? I would expect that they did that early on and, and they didn't succeed. Uh, he's now got now now has a new lawyer, a former public defender from the county uh, where the courtroom is, and she was able to enter an appearance for him so he could plead not guilty. It's hard to imagine that she would be lead trial counsel. Uh, her experience doesn't necessarily lend itself uh, to that. Um, but if he ends up getting a serious white collar criminal lawyer, I would think that that lawyer would say, we've got to separate um, you from Trump here because it, it's in your best legal interest. It may not be in your best economic interests, but if you get convicted, you're going to like, you might likely get a jail sentence. I don't know about Trump, but you, Walt Matt, Natto, might get a jail sentence. And that's not in either your legal or your economic interest. I, I will be, I think the world would be very interested in seeing if he stays under Trump's influence or whether or not he decides at some point to cop a plea or, or to separate himself from. Yeah. And, and, and we've seen, you know, some who have departed the Michael Cohen's of the world and others like Weisselberg who have stayed uh, in, in the tent. Uh, and Natow has to make those sorts of choices. What does he think is in his best interests. And, you know, it's an interesting conversation because here's Michael Cohen, who's, you know, sort of out alone on an island uh, with you know, severe impact to his ability to earn an in a living and stuff. And there's uh, Weisselberg in jail, uh, but who will probably be taken care of uh, financially. Uh, and so what? what's your choice, you know? <laughs> do, you, do you part with the family, Michael, or do you stay with it? That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I hope there's no I hope there's no conversations with anyone in a bathtub. Yes. <laughs> Frankie Pantangeles. Yes, Frankie Angels. There you go. So, we're going to take another short break and when we come back, we have a few more topics to unpack and your letters. So, stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
We are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With us, as usual, discussing this week's current events is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. John, uh, you had a interesting uh, take earlier this week. We talked about well, both of us are a little frustrated with the, the current White House, so I see I see you grinning over there and, and wiping your brow. Uh, I, I'll start with the first thing that I got, which we've all seen by now, statement from President Joe Biden on completing the destruction of the United States chemical weapons stockpile. For more than 30 years, the United States has worked tirelessly to eliminate our chemical weapons stockpile today. I'm proud to announce the U.S. has safely destroyed the final munition in that stock stockpile, bringing us one step closer to a world free from the horrors of chemical weapons. Hooray for that. On the same day, Biden announces that cluster munitions, which are uh, problematic at best, and you can explain why they are, or I can, it doesn't matter, uh, will be sent to Ukraine. Apparently, Raising the question, the rest of the world can be guilty of uh, <clears throat> war crimes, but not the U.S. Uh, with that, John, it's yours. Well, what an uh, an interesting decision. Um, at first glance, this looks pretty bad. Uh, Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary, of course, uh, February 28th of 2022, was asked during a briefing about reports back then that Russia was preparing to use cluster munitions in Ukraine. And uh, in a very kind of brief answer, she said, if they did that, that would probably constitute a war crime. Fast forward a year and a half, roughly, and now Biden is sending uh, cluster munitions to Ukraine under the the explanation. And, you know, the, the more they talk about it, and I, I, the president... Uh, did an interview that aired on CNN uh, Sunday morning, and he and others are describing this uh, as a very difficult decision, but necessary because Ukraine is running out of artillery rounds. You know, these big um, tank killing... Just replace the artillery rounds. Well, the, the problem there is um, the U.S. and other allies that either used to make these artillery rounds or still do in, in some or have the capacity to do so, um, they're saying the production capacity isn't there right now. They're trying to rebuild it, build it back up. Ukrainians are firing something, you know, they're firing thousands of these things every week, and they're about to run out of uh, artillery rounds. And you, and a cluster munition can, it's basically an artillery round, but on the inside are smaller explosive uh, materials that the munition ejects and sprays it out bomblets and sprays it out over a, a fairly wide area and so you can see how civilian 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 casualties are the main worry here and and a lot of groups the UN uh human rights watch there's an international convention against cluster munitions they've been uh, banned in a hundred countries right and, and but they, the US the U.S. has never signed that convention. Yes. You know, supports it in principle, but never signed it. Ukraine, the same thing. So much for supporting it. <laughs> right. Well, I think this pretty much and, ends and that possibility. For those who don't understand, not to interrupt, but to your point, um, they they scatter smaller right. omelets over a wide area. 
And those that fail to, now they indiscriminately kill people. So, it, you know, and those that fail to explode can threaten civilians, children's for decades right. after a conflict ends. So that's, that's why they're so controversial. And for the, mm -hmm. the administration to come out and on one day, uh, on the same day, go, hey, you know, we got rid of chemical weapons because they're, you know, threatening and they're, you know, not a, but cluster bombs were fine. It just seems a little hypocritical to me. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, but this, to to me, what this proves is, and and we heard this at, excuse me, at the beginning of the the Ukraine war, um, the warning to Biden from folks was, you know, if you're in because you're the United States, and you know we insist on spending a, around nine hundred billion dollars a year on defense, so we have a lot of this stuff that a country, an ally like Ukraine would need to fight a big conventional military like the Russian military. Um, if you're in for a dime, you're in for the whole dollar. Right. You're, and you can't get out. Once you're in, if you're in, you have to keep supporting them. And, and you know, we've given them all these artillery shells. I This does speak to me. Um, this, this also speaks to the danger of giving these to the Ukrainian military, who by all accounts have fought, you know, very brave, scrappy uh, fight against a much bigger military. But the fact that they're firing so many artillery shells every day, every week, every month, that speaks to me. And I covered defense for a long time, a lack of discipline within their force, where this isn't a sophisticated military that's being very smart and and not overusing their artillery or or not or not firing their rounds because they think maybe there's a Russian formation or maybe we can hit it, maybe we can reach it. Um, they're firing a lot of these things and and you just have to question um if there's the if if there's the proper discipline within their force to use the cluster munitions in a way that won't guarantee civilian casualties or in a way that won't do waste that? the munition. A lot of times those bomblets don't go off. So right. they're just, you know, they land under a car or in somebody's garden and and the big problems uh, later. And part of the justification here from the administration is, well, the Russians are already using cluster munitions. So we're going to have to debomblet the country anyway when the war is over. Um, not sure about that one. And, um, you know, argument that the, the Ukrainians, well, uh, um, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, on Friday told reporters, well, the Ukrainians sent us a letter and 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 promised us uh, that they'll use these smartly and they won't use them indiscriminately. Um, you know, the, the justification here is, is pretty weak. It is uh, hypocritical. It was rolled out, in my opinion, very clumsily. It took them all day. Uh, to confirm they so the White House clearly leaked this story overnight yes. Thursday, Thursday into Friday we all wake up to the news and then it takes them all day to confirm it Jake Sullivan that which they 30, leaked <laughs> it was 32 minutes into the briefing before he kind of sort of confirmed it and they clearly didn't they didn't want to say the president approved this they didn't want to say those words um so it, it was just it was a very frustrating and it was a very frustrating day, you know, yet again, struggling to communicate something. You know, we understand that it's a hard job full of hard decisions. Um, we uh, yet again, for something like this, 
it wouldn't have hurt to hear this Friday uh, from the president's own mouth. You know, he could well, have we given... rarely hear from him anything. And so yeah. that's my and big criticism. Again, in the CNN interview, he explained about the production capacity not being there for artillery shells. And these things can be shipped relatively soon. You know, it wasn't it, it wasn't an, an, an unreasonable explanation that the president gave to Fareed Zakaria. Why not come out Friday and explain this? I mean, you're Mr. Foreign Policy. You ran on this. Why why send Jake Sullivan out to 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 give this meandering explanation? It was just it, I just thought it was very strangely announced. Yeah, it was. Michael, anything you'd like to add to that before the? <laughs> well, we've been using the United States military has been using cluster bombs for a long, long time. We used them in Vietnam. We used them yep. in the Gulf War. We used them in. Afghanistan, and um, notwithstanding the fact that um, Human Rights Watch and others have condemned these, and that there are, as you said, a hundred-person treaty banning these things, I just can't accept the answer uh, that Biden um, gave when asked why, which is that they're running out of ammunition, and therefore we're going to give a, a weapon the collateral consequences of which are thousands of civilians are going to be killed. They've been used previously. And as you said, they have the problem of unexploded, essentially hand grenades lying all around the place. And kids see this and say, hey, what's this? Boom. Oh. Um, and it, the reason that we don't use chemical warfare I mean, they do in Syria, but the reason we don't use, you know, World War One gas and um, the reason we shouldn't use these bombs is that they are a human rights violation. And we should be more principled than to say, well, because they use it, we use it. Um, look, the Ukrainians, by the way, have been using cluster bombs throughout this war. They've this is yeah. not like they haven't had them. And this will be the first time that they've gotten them. They're, they've been using them, so we're just we're just complimenting um, their continued use by. And and I was reading an article about this the other day, and they say that they think we have like three million cluster bombs um, in our inventory. So maybe what we're trying to do is like clean out the garage. <laughs> yeah, that's. <you> know? <laughs> but. <laughs> and that would I, be I just far from true. But here's my problem: when you look at. Um, the cluster bombs and 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 the use of them and I, what concerns me is that what the administration has told us so far you know the, the tight rain and all that crap there is no guarantee that once those uh, munitions are given to ukraine that they won't be used in ways that we would disapprove of there's no way to guarantee how they're going to be used how the, where they'll be stored what they'll be used for and to me, that's the most disingenuous pronouncement from this administration is that they believe or they want us to believe that there's some kind of control over how they'll be used, you know, in 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 battle because there's none. Well, they're they're a weapon that is not controllable because yes. of the nature of of the what what you have. I as I understand it is you've got one missile with like hundreds of 
hand grenades within it. Yes. And, and they scatter and they, they explode. So they cover a wider area of um, destruction when they land. But as we've been saying, and the reason that they're banned is that a good percentage of them, two, three, four percent of the uh, hand grenades within there don't explode. And they're just sitting there. Um, and we saw this in Vietnam to demine, if you will, these areas once the, the war ends. I mean, the, we saw so many tragic pictures of kids stepping on mines or picking up grenades and losing arms and legs, innocent kids, because they were just, you know, being kids and, and wondering what this funny looking thing is. It's just not acceptable to me. And to say that we're running out of munitions, well, to John's point, to the Ukrainian army who, you know, seem to be fighting a David and Goliath sort of battle, use your weaponry more tactically. You just don't umbrella spray these things all over the place in the hopes that there'll be endless replenishment of, of them. That doesn't seem to be smart military um, decisioning, but I've not been in the military and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, having uh, I've not been in the military. I've been in several conflict zones and have covered a couple of wars. And I can tell you, you get, you're right on the money. I want to switch gears here. Uh, our last topic uh, is... Um, <laughs> And and John, we kind of have touched on it all throughout the day. You wrote a piece, and the New York Times both have written pieces now, questioning uh, Biden's age as we head into this uh, re-election. Pictures today of him uh, have been shown throughout uh, mainstream media or, or uh, you know, legacy media, whatever the term you want to use to discuss what we are. Uh, there have been uh, videos seen on today's media of... Uh, Biden strolling onto a beach in um, Delaware and uh, is sitting on the beach, apparently unnoticed by others as he took his shirt off and enjoyed the, I guess, apparently to show us that, you know, golly gee, our president is one of us. But talk to us a little bit about appearance versus reality. What's the reality of his age and having to do with the race? Yeah, I, I wrote the column under the the premise not that joe biden is too old to be president not even that donald trump is too old to be president or will be too old to be president um just that that the whole country needs a way to assess this but especially the media because we're you know we're we're covering this guy's every move that's the job and we we but i also make the point in the column it's kind of a twofer um we can't in the in the legacy media or mainstream media or whatever, yeah, we're calling ourselves these days. We can't just we can't just ignore the president's age and some of these these gaffes and strange moments and falls. That's and, yeah, inability to sound coherent at times. We can't just ignore that because we're afraid Donald Trump will be president again. We have to we have to to take a critical look. At, at some of these moments that that 80 year old Joe Biden has will be 81 in November. Um, and, and, and the same for Trump. We, we, you know, as he gets older, we have to um, apply whatever metric we might settle on, you know, to Trump's more paranoid and, and outrageous rants and social media posts. Um, because it looks like these are the two guys that we're going to have to pick between to be the next president, but we got to figure out a way. And 
you know, I talked to some to 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 professors and experts, and 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 one of them um, suggested, and I agree with this, that the the best metric is one that focuses on capability to do the job, not just age. Because as I say in the column, if you just focus on age, then you know it's easy for the right to say, as I as I wrote that that Joe Biden's mind is now a, a minor league baseball mind in a major league baseball world, or that the left, if you're just focusing on age, that, that Trump's brain has been taken over uh, by revenge and paranoia. You have to look at it through the lens of who's the best person to do the job, who can carry out the most stressful job, maybe in the, on the planet, you know, Every day, all day, 365 days a year. I guess next year we get an extra one, so 366. Who's <laughs> who's who's the be- who's more capable of preserving, protecting, and defending the Constitution? And again, I'm going to go back to those independent voters in the swing states that are going to matter. You know, that's that's I wrote the column because you hope folks start thinking about it in those terms. Well, one thing I want to bring up, though, is I think one of the other metrics that we have in the press covering this president, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've covered Biden when he was in the Senate. I did, too. He has been a gaffe machine in the past. He does have a stutter. So when we cover him, are we are we overcompensating for those two things? Look, we got to give the guy a break because he stutters. We got to give a guy a break because he's and all of that being said, and I'm willing to give the guy a break for all of that, but the assessment of what he's doing has to still be the assessment of what he's doing. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I do think the media has given at times uh, President Biden a pass uh, for, and you've talked about this here, he's not Donald Trump. So he's gotten a pass on some of this stuff. Well, that was bad, but it wasn't Trump bad. Or, you know, that gaffe was, that gaffe was a little outrageous but you know it wasn't a trump tweet yeah and you know and the, and let's you know let's let's cut right through it the media has to be careful about not giving joe biden passes just because he's a democrat yes well nuance is not anything that we're really good at in the press <laughs> so it, it either is or isn't baby it's a, michael <laughs> so maybe you can look at two things and say Here's an apples to apples comparison to John's question of the only real important question is which uh, candidate is best More able to preserve about. and protect um, the, the the well-being of the United States. In the Trump presidency, there was uh, infrastructure week every week and no bill. In the Biden presidency, <laughs> there was an infrastructure bill. Um, so here are two people confronting something which is greatly needed in the United States to support and rebuild our aging infrastructure. One did nothing and one did something. So if you want to compare the two, maybe you say, well, I'll take the one who did something and the one who did did nothing. Um, That's an easy metric. (laughs) Well, to, to that point, how, I mean, Age aside from both of them, and I, I remember during the Neil Gorsuch's uh, uh, here, uh, presentation when they presented him in the East Room when uh, for the nomination, I remember watching Donald Trump's hand twitch 
You know, I remember him uh, out on the uh, South Lawn. I remember him uh, in the Rose Garden. And there were times when he was befuddled. Where there were times when he made no sense. Um, I can't accurately, as accurately describe Biden because they have been very meticulous about making sure that he's not in front of us very often. It's the protective pool. It's for short bursts. But I will say that in my interaction, personal interaction with Biden versus Trump, Biden at least seems to have a grasp of the issues. And that's not one thing that I ever got from Donald Trump. The, the only thing I ever got from Donald Trump was, how does this affect me? Uh, <laughs> I mean, how many how many times did Trump uh, kind of glom on to a policy idea because one of us asked him about it? And yes. it was clear. It was clear. I, I will go out way out on this limb. Uh, that's the first time he had ever heard about it. Of course, and, oh, I might do that. I might I might think about maybe doing that. <laughs> and then he would and then he would go and, and ask an advisor. And then <laughs> later in the day, he would. <laughs> He would he would tweet not he would take the maybe out and say, I'm probably gonna look at that, or we're yeah. looking at that, or he would have to clean it up. Well, that's and, how he came across his whole southern border strategy is someone brought it up to him and he had no clue what was going on. Until he had no clue. They told him to say it at a rally, and he made it his main campaign plank because it got big applause. Like he had two or three rallies that day and it slayed at all the events. So he was like, oh, well, okay, there we go. That That's a winner. Yeah. That's, that's, so if it boils down to it, Michael, to your point, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind who's who of those two are more capable. The question, I think the overall question that we have to look at, and I don't think, and to the point, I don't think we're going to look at anybody else at this point. Uh, although I still maintain that it could be, you know, otherwise with, but at this point in time, we're looking at the two front runners who is most capable. I don't think, I, I think hands down with all, you know, warts and all, there's no doubt that it's, it's Biden in a Biden versus Trump. And I think the question, another way of looking at it is to see in this very dangerous global world in which we live, who do we think is more experienced and has, you know, the best likelihood of protecting our interests, um, in 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 that you know environment and again i i'll donald I'll, trump i'll take i'll i think i'll take biden um, yeah over 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 trump um but you know i'm not a political analyst and so i don't want to, people to think well i'm endorsing this or i'm endorsing that i just tend to uh take experience generally speaking over inexperience but one would pop probably say to me well yes but in that case, Hillary Clinton was the most experienced candidate running uh, against uh, Obama and, and others. Shouldn't you have supported her? And so it, it's it's complicated. As it the is complicated. But I, I also saw that sign, take, take experience over inexperience every time, but I saw it hanging in a whorehouse, but that's another story. Anyway, mm. that's, we're, we're going to finish finish up with i i got John. you always end on the high notes that's what yeah. i love about this podcast <laughs> crazy talk 
John, yeah. I got a letter. Uh, he's hanging. He's hanging out with cocaine users and 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 prostitutes. And John and you and I are just as pure as a driven snow. And I That's find us. this stuff shocking, shocking, <laughs> and troubling. Very troubling. And troubling. <laughs> deeply troubling. Well, hey, I'm just hanging out with reporters. <laughs> uh, well, All right. So, and if and if your listening audience understood. Your reference to Hunter Thompson. Let let me know because yes, uh, Hunter I, I think Thompson. That, that's I think that was uh, over the top. Uh, of yeah, the I think that if you're gonna blame Hunter, blame blame Hunter Thompson, uh, yeah. who yeah. famously wore shorts. And there are people still around who remember when Hunter visited the White House, and he came in in shorts and a sweaty T-shirt <laughs> into the. And John, you can well imagine if either you and I walk in in a sweaty T-shirt and shorts and the in uh, the Brady briefing room, how the world would react. And, yeah. uh, and, and Thompson apparently did so. And I think they were with frayed blue jean shorts, if I remember the story correctly. And under the influence of enough, you know, different hallucinogens and narcotics to make Donald Trump seem sane. Anyway, yes. so <laughs> but, but they, but people should read fear and loathing on the campaign trail. His, yes. his, his masterpiece book. And in respect of my quote, of it's not the, and it's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps the end of the beginning. That is uh, Churchill after the um, successful El Alamein um, fight where the Brits for the first time seemed to repel um, the forces of, of um, Germany. Of Germany. Yeah. In 1942, I think that was. Okay. Yeah, so it's the, the hinge of fate. The, the hinge, it's a sleight of hand and twist of fate. We're going to, on a bed of nails, she makes me wait. If you can get that reference, go for it. Well, how about A Simple Twist of Fate? Yes. Bob Dylan's famous yes. song. Well, and and what I was doing was quoting someone who used that to create their own song, and that was Bono and U2. He yeah. sleight of hand and twist of fate off of uh, Bob Dylan. He admitted that was his influence. So there, there's a bit of trivia for you. So but it's, uh, it's nice to be able to work. Bob Dylan into every podcast while John works in WWE and NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah, Play to your strengths, baby. Play to your strengths. So, hey, so. Let's let's close with a couple of letters uh, from BC three thirty one for John. Uh, why is President Biden bothering to talk to NATO? Didn't Donald Trump take care of them by creating a hardline stance against them? Mm, okay uh, that's an interesting uh interesting i'm trying to wrap my brain around that logic um because it's a different president who, and this president um supports very much and believes in the ability of alliances uh among um you know, and is using this one in the war in right, 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 right. So Biden is a, has always been a strong believer in international alliances and these international institutions. He believes it's um, it's it's really the only way to get you know meaningful stuff done. In this case, helping Ukraine win the war. He was I've referenced this interview uh, with Fareed Zakaria a few times. And Biden made this point uh, this morning, Sunday morning, uh, that um, it's critical to hold NATO together. That 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 it's critical, not only the war effort, but you don't want to give Vladimir Putin the sense that he can he can erode the Western alliance. So, you know, that's why um, President Biden ran on this. This is not 
Um, this is not anything new. A new president is not beholden to continue a single policy of of the president he or she is replacing. Uh, there were, you know, there were plenty of policies of Barack Obama that Donald Trump threw overboard on day one, all of them, one week one, year one, and most of them, yeah, just about all of them. And you know, Biden has has put a lot of those back in place with his own with his own stamp on his own fingerprints. So, um, you know, Trump clearly ran on America first, and Biden was Biden ran on and has certainly tried uh, to to reestablish. Uh, America as as the leader of the free world, but especially the West and especially the leader of NATO. Um, so it's just the two men's worldviews. Donald Trump opposed these organizations, and Joe Biden has always supported them. And to Michael's point earlier, I I think the uh, and and to to answer this letter writer a bit, I I I think he hasn't gotten rid of NATO because he understands the usefulness of NATO and how it has uh, and has helped to corner. The former Soviet Union, Russia, uh, and isolate them, and it has only grown in stature, not shrunk. So, to the letter writer, I would say, um, if you're assessing why, I think the results show why. And and interestingly, in the Fareed Zakaria interview, Biden said that Ukraine was not yet ready for NATO admission. So he's right. not willy nilly. Yeah saying everybody come join us he's saying that there are preconditions as he gets ready to go to the nato summit uh today yes good point uh for you uh uh michael from trombone 76 trombone shorty i like that thing <laughs> hasn't the fact that jack smith is yet to indict donald trump for the january 6th show that the Department of Justice has indeed been politicized because he's taking too long to do it. I think actually just the contrary. I think the fact that he is trying to understand all of the facts that are out there, some of which we spoke about today, and meticulously determining whether or not those facts merit an indictment shows that he is not weaponizing the department. If he were weaponizing the department, he would have moved very quickly, almost irrespective of of the nuances of 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 the evidence, to you know to score political uh, points. So I think the reader has it just upside down that the the meticulous behavior shows a lack of weaponization rather than the contrary. There you go. And with that, we wrap another week uh, looking at, we got through a God, guys, we got through a lot this week. It was, uh, it was another busy week. It's uh, feels like all of them are a year long. <laughs> anyway, so once again, Michael, where can, uh, where can we pick you up if, for listeners? The podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It's a weekly uh, podcast where we discuss with the authors of interesting books, the their theses, is that's how you say the, the word. Theses, that is correct. Uh, this this coming week, our interview will be on the desegregation of Clinton High School in Arkansas, which was the first high school desegregated under court order in the United States in the aftermath of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. And to read what 
these 12 students, the de desegregating students went through is, is heart-wrenching. So stick around. We can also catch you on, uh, well, occasionally see you on CNN still. Yeah, I'm doing CNN most Saturdays with Frederica, the great Frederica Will. Uh, 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 sorry. The great Frederica Whitfield. I lost my, my voice for a second. Um, <laughs> I didn't forget her name. I just lost my voice. I've got a little bit of a cold. Um, yes, I, and Ana Cabrera on MSNBC uh, at 10 a.m. All righty. And John, you're up. Where can we catch you, brother? Uh, Rollcall.com every Friday and CQ afternoon briefing. You can subscribe at any time at CQ.com. There you go. And this is, I am Brian Karam. This is Just Ask the Question. You catch us here all the time, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And the name of the book is Free the Press. And I have a weekly column at salon.com. And, you know, the one thing we didn't discuss was the Twitter uh, wars and cut <laughs> But Twitter and and uh, what's the other one? Thread. So you can catch me there on all of those. Maybe we'll discuss that next week because we got a little little overwhelmed this week. So stick around. We'll be back next week. This is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us.